Welcome to impactboom.org. We search the globe to find the people, stories, ideas, and inspiration to help you create maximum positive impact. Each week, Impact Boom brings you thought-provoking interviews with world-leading practitioners passionate about creating positive social change. These designers, social entrepreneurs, educators, innovators, thinkers, and doers share their projects, initiatives, thoughts, and insights on creating a better world. You can find all the stories, links, and other great content at impactboom.org. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter for the latest updates, or subscribe to the newsletter or on iTunes. Thanks for listening to Impact Boom. My name's Tom Allen, and I'm passionate about bringing you the latest interviews and insights to help you create positive social impact. Today, we're speaking with Elizabeth Foslian. Liz Foslian is the co-author and illustrator of No Hard Feelings, The Secret Power of Embracing Emotion at Work. She's designed and facilitated organizational culture workshops for leaders at Google, Facebook, Nike, and Stanford, and her data visualization and writing projects have appeared in CNN, NPR, The Financial Times, and The Economist. So on today's podcast, we'll discuss Elizabeth's insights into embracing emotion at work, and we'll get her thoughts on how to be authentic while remaining professional. So Liz, thanks very much for joining us. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I'm very excited to speak with you today. Likewise. So to kick things off, Liz, could you please share a little bit about your background and what it was that led you to working with businesses to build cultures of belonging? Yeah, so I studied economics and then was an economic consultant and after that moved into tech. And then most recently, um, for the past three years, I worked with a small organization called Parliament and it was a learning and doing community where Fortune 500 executives could convene and discuss issues that they were all facing. And so my job there was to really figure out how to convene them, how to organize workshops, conferences, um, and then how to facilitate those experiences, both so Mm. that people would learn from each other and also to make sure that these were very human interactions. And I think so much of our experiences when we see the words business and conference, we immediately jump to this idea of networking and that we should be professionals. Um, But I think the best insights really come out when you're interacting on a more human level. Yep. So what's a couple of tips then that you think that people generally get wrong when they don't interact as emotional humans? Yeah, I think that it, it prevents you from really bringing all of your experience to the table. So I think if you both present as and then see others as a full human as opposed to just a title or just their affiliation, again, it allows you to bring everything that makes you unique, uh, all of your experiences, all of your insights, rather than kind of pigeonholing yourself maybe into one industry even. Um, I think What's so wonderful about having many different people in a room is, again, that they come from such diverse backgrounds and Mm. and you don't want them to only speak to one part of that experience, to only focus on something they've done in one job, because there's usually a lot to learn from everything they've done in their career. Yeah, absolutely. I imagine a lot of these insights have come out in your books. I know you recently co-authored No Hard Feelings. So you did this alongside Molly West Duffy. And I'd love to hear a little bit more about this book, Liz. Why did you write it and and what were the key lessons that you learned along the way? Yeah, so I wrote it uh, with Molly. We had similar experiences where 
early on in our careers, we believed, as I think many people still do, that you should check your feelings at the door when you enter an office and that to be professional and to be successful, you just should not show any feelings and that emotion is the opposite of rationality, which Mm -hmm. is very prized in the workplace. And so I had, again, early in my career, my first job, I was very stressed at it. Um, it was, you know, long hours, um, high stress work environment. And because I was so focused on just suppressing that, I think I, I mean, I know (laughs) that at one point after a few years, I just burnt out. Um, and so that caused this really intense period of reflection on my part of looking both at the job and the work that I was doing and thinking, why was this not so profoundly meaningful to me? And then also on the flip side, looking back and saying, Obviously, I was not managing any of my own emotional state and not taking care of my emotional health. So what could I have been doing on my end to ensure that this anxiety didn't consume me and start to manifest as like physical pain? I was getting Mm. headaches. I was getting sick quite a bit. Um, And so Molly had a similar experience. So then together we started, we've been friends for a long time. We started researching this idea of how do you think about your emotions, how do you acknowledge them, and then hold them up to the light and really examine what they're trying to tell you. There are emotions that are just noise, so how do you filter out what's noise and what's a valuable, important emotion that you should be listening to? And then the more we researched, the more we realized um, that this notion that you can be emotionless in the workplace is biologically impossible. Mm. We are emotional creatures regardless of circumstance. And so given that, it's really time that we start to learn to deal with emotions in Mm. a professional setting. And so the book really is intended to be a fun and affectionate, but deeply researched guide to what to do with emotion in a workplace, keeping in mind that, you know, it is, it is a different context than your personal life. So there still are rules and boundaries. um, But how can we just kind of infuse everything we do with a little more human element? Mm. It sounds like a great book, Liz. And that experience of burnout for you, I imagine, was in many ways a bit of a, a, a trigger, right, to form an interest in this area. And in writing the book, I'm sure you've come across a lot of other experiences as well. So what's one of the biggest problems then that you see individuals facing in these modern day workplaces? And what advice would you then give to these people to turn those problems into opportunities? Yeah, so I think a big one is especially when you're talking about organizational culture and how it feels to work in a place or how it feels to be part of a team. Um, I think most people in organizations have a manager. And Mm. so often I think people feel powerless to affect their environment, powerless to really make a big change. But one of the things that we talk about in the book is we say that emotional culture cascades from you. And what that means is there are really small things that you can do that you can start doing immediately that have a really big impact on how you feel at work and also how people around you feel at work. So a great example of this is just to positively reinforce, let's say you're in a meeting, positively reinforce someone asking a question or taking a risk. So it's really crucial to engagement and to having everyone feel a sense of belonging at work that they feel like they can throw out ideas. And it's also crucial to innovation. Um, If people aren't comfortable flagging problems, they aren't comfortable, you know, 
throwing out ideas, doing a brainstorm, you're not going to get the best possible product at the end. Mm. And so if someone does say, here's something that I think might go wrong with the proposal, just to take the, you know, five seconds and say, I'm really glad you brought that up. It's so important that we flag these things. Mm. And that really establishes a norm of we value this kind of behavior. And once you start modeling that, usually, you know, you're helping other people do it. And then as they become more comfortable, you become more comfortable. And so it's kind of this positive reinforcement cycle that can have a powerful effect on culture. And people's emotions, right? Definitely, yeah. And their sense of, their real sense of belonging within an organization. Mm. So that positive reinforcement is super important. Are there any other things that you believe business leaders should be doing more of in their workplaces to create these optimal work environments? Yeah. So when it comes to leadership, one thing is we encourage leaders to show some level of emotion. So, so to really shed this idea that you should be an emotionless, rational robot. Um, I think mm. it's just a false dichotomy that yeah. reason and emotion are you know, opposites. That said, you can't destabilize your staff by being overly emotional as a leader. So we really encourage people to display selective vulnerability. And so say that an organization is going through a round of layoffs. If as a leader you show no emotion about it, people are going to see you either as a sociopath or mm. just as a liar who they can't trust anymore because you're not speaking at all to this emotional effect that such a strong, you know, layoffs must be having on you. So we advise people in that situation to say something like this is a tough time for everyone, it's affecting me too, but and then after that, give the most realistic but positive picture and provide people with a path forward. Mm. So again, it's speaking to the emotion without getting emotional and then providing a path forward. Like how are you going to solve the problem? So again, in the layoffs example, it would be tough time. It's affecting me too, but here are the things that I'm doing as your leader to ensure that this doesn't happen again. Here's what the organization is doing. Here's what we need from you. And I really believe that we can make this happen. And so you're, you're not leaving people feeling isolated in their own emotional states, but you're still instilling them with a sense of hope and also giving them a clear directive and therefore reinforcing in their eyes, your ability to lead. Yeah. Yeah, there's some great tips there. A lot of our listeners are early stage social entrepreneurs or they're beginning startups. So do you have any advice for them? And is there any anything you believe that they can do to best select co-founders or team members whilst then reducing the risk of these emotionally charged problems coming up down the track or, or issues amongst the team? Yeah, so... In choosing a co-founder, I think just one of the most important pieces is find someone who is willing to discuss feelings with you and who is very open to feedback and who is willing to give you useful feedback. Mm. I think there's so much you can do at the very outset of a business relationship or of a project or you know, founding a company that can reduce miscommunication in the future. And so we recommend, I think this would be such a great thing to do with a co-founder if you're kind of just getting into the craziness, because once work picks up, it can be really hard to carve out that time to say, hey, we need to sit down and have like a two-hour discussion about our feelings. Yeah. But it's super useful at the beginning to sit down and then answer maybe 10 questions. And those questions should be along the lines of, how do I prefer to get feedback? What's something that you might misunderstand about me? 
Um, what's something that has come up in the past that people misunderstood about me? How do we want to communicate? Do we like to communicate over email? Do we like to communicate on the phone? Do we want video conference? And then is there some kind of standing arrangement we can have mm. where we take the time to just address and check in on how each other is feeling? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> so there's a strong alignment of expectation from the beginning, right? Definitely. One thing too that Molly and I did while we were writing the book that might be fun, especially um, for founders who are often analytical or, or like spreadsheets. So I come from a consulting background. So we created this big Google spreadsheet and we had 10 statements that we listed. So one was, I feel good about my contribution. Uh, another was, I feel good about the other person's contribution. We had like, I feel good about the book's direction. And then every two weeks on a scale of zero to 10, 10 being the highest, we would each fill in how we felt about each of those statements. Mm. And then we would also fill in how we felt the other person felt about the statement. Right. So if I thought Molly was feeling really good about the book's direction, I would put a 10 in that column and then we would swap. And what that did is it would highlight if I thought Molly was feeling a 10, but Molly had entered four, there was a big gap and we needed to talk about it. Mm. So finding ways to explicitly bring to the forefront any issues so that you can resolve them in that moment as opposed to letting them fester and then maybe breed resentment and then you start to read every email through a negative lens. So just really important to whatever feels right to you. Molly and I both love spreadsheets, so that worked out really well for us. But just whatever feels right to, to try to schedule in some time at regular intervals to talk about these things. Mm, yeah, some great advice. So are there any inspiring projects or initiatives that you've come across recently, which you believe are creating some excellent positive social change, Liz? Yeah, so two things that come to mind. And again, this is, I'm going to speak in the context of creating better work environments and just making work better for employees. So one is at LinkedIn a few years ago, um, Pat Waters, who at the time was the head of HR there, she introduced, they have an annual employee engagement survey, and she introduced four questions about belonging. And two of those questions actually ended up being leading indicators of how happy an employee was in their job mm. and whether they would stay or not. And those two questions were, if something bad happens at work, do you feel safe? Do you, you know, do you feel like your team will still support you? Yeah. They're not going to ostracize you. And then the second question was, does someone at work care about you? And I think those are, you know, there were just two questions. Mm. And if you know the answer to that, I think it gives you so much insight into someone's state at work yeah. and how they feel. So I, I think, again, another thing I love about that is it's really trying to measure and quantify belonging. Um, I think so often people think about emotions and it's just seems like so hard to start figuring out how to measure it. So just any examples of, of that being measured, I'm really excited about. Mm. Um, and then what quickly, another example is there's a company called Humu and it was Laszlo Bach who led HR and led their people analytics team at Google for 10 years. He left uh, about a year and a half ago to start this new company and they're trying to do something similar, which is introduce nudges into the workplace. Mm -hmm. So the idea there is, again, there's these small changes you can make that have a really big difference. And so they're helping employees learn what those small changes might be to help them attain their goals. So again, it's this idea of you can measure these things and then you can take small steps 
to have a huge impact within an organization. Mm, fantastic. So as an author yourself then, Liz, could you please recommend a few great books to our listeners? Yeah, so I really love uh, Laszlo Bach, who, who founded this company, whom mm. I just mentioned. He wrote a book called Work Rules that I highly recommend. Um, he talks about his time at Google and a lot of the learnings there. Again, it's also around how to measure, how to quantify feelings, um, and then what to do with that data. I also love Radical Candor by Kim Scott. Mm. I think it's an excellent take on how to give critical feedback in a way that really helps the person and keeps their feelings in mind. So one of the things she says is that your comment is not measured at your mouth, it's measured at the other person's ear. So it's really important to treat people not how you want to be treated, but how they want to be treated. So just finding out, you know, does someone prefer to receive feedback verbally or over email? That can make a really big difference in understanding their preferences, helps you you know, with the best intentions, we can still bulldoze over other people's feelings. So I think I love that push to really try and understand the people around you, how to best communicate with them. So those are two books that I think should be on everyone's shelves. Fantastic. Well, I commend you on your efforts to create more positive, happy and inspiring workplaces, Liz. So thank you so much for sharing your time and insights and experience. And we wish you best of luck with, with the launch of the book. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm a big fan of the podcast, so I'm thrilled to be here. Fantastic. It's been our pleasure. Thanks for listening to Impact Boom. You'll find links to the initiatives, people, and resources mentioned in this podcast on impactboom.org. Please leave your comments below. And remember, we'll be publishing fresh inspiration and insights to help you create positive impact every week on the website, Facebook page, and Twitter.